Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's the Deceptively Fast Podcast. I apologize. I was trying to put these out every Tuesday, but as you all know, I had surgery last week. And I I had a really hard time coming back from the anesthesia. And which which shocked me because I used to just pop right out of surgery and be right up in Adam, but I, I kind of was like in a fog for about a week. But I'm bringing my friend Drew back on this week. I, I did a bad job of explaining to you guys exactly who Drew was last week. You can follow him on Twitter, where he's now up to 13 followers. He had been mired at I think about nine before he came on to this podcast and achieved worldwide fame. Um, Drew Hodgson. D-R-E-W Hodgdon, H-O-D-G-D-O-N. Follow him on Twitter. And Drew played at Arizona State. He was with the Texans uh, for a few years. Where'd you go right after the Texans, Drew? Uh, Baltimore. Baltimore. That's right. Well, let's jump right in. Did you happen to see any of Wednesday afternoon football? I did. Okay. I want to ask you a question about the end of the first half when Baltimore was trying to run four plays with very little time left down near the end zone. They ran the ball on second down with no timeouts left. And there was a huge scrum right at the goal line. Time kept running down and the defensive line was doing what defensive linemen do in two minute situations. They were trying to keep the ball carrier from getting up. So they're kind of leaning on him, and Harbaugh's flipping out on the sidelines. They finally get the ball in play they throw a pass, it falls incomplete. So instead of having time left to, to kick a field goal, time has expired. Um, my take on this, Drew, as a former defensive lineman, is that that's just gamesmanship, baby. And Harbaugh should have expected that. You can't expect, you can't expect to be able to run a play up the gut on goal line and be able to get back and get the ball in play in 15 seconds or left, less than the NFL, while also expecting a delay a game penalty on that like in that specific area of the field yeah that's exactly right yeah Yeah. if you're if you're in the Ravens locker room your job is to be as furious and irate as humanly possible and have no objectivity whatsoever (laughs) it was an idiotic move right right I was I argued with somebody on Twitter about it who kept he is like this football idealist who is saying well (laughs) it's it's unsportsmanlike you see yeah Fine. I don't even care if you call it unsportsman. Like Harbaugh's got to understand the way it's called. Like in the middle of the field when that happens, you know, it's shady and guys, defensive backs will get kind of cocky with it and they'll really lean on guys and put their hips into them. But they tow the line and they get off and they'll get a delay of game call if they or delay of game call if, if, if they're too extreme with it. But down in like in a scrum and in a pile on the goal line, I just I don't think you're ever going to get that call. Yes, sportsmanship stops exactly where the line when refs throw the flag is. That's yeah. exactly where sportsmanship stops. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like that is the that's the apex of sportsmanship and personal fouls. No, you're right because I mean, if you take pass interference, for instance, you know, is it you're 
that rule is only as good as it is being enforced. So defensive back, like if a defensive back were to be a complete sportsman about things, he would just play with his hands completely off the entire way down the field, right? But right. if you understand that, okay, no, there's a little bit of a gray area there and you try to push it up right to the envelope of the gray area. And and that's what you have in this. I'm, I'm a little disappointed. I'm not disappointed. I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm kind of proud of you that as an offensive lineman, you at least understand the the stuff that we would have to resort to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. I mean, it's the same, you know, the expertise I have, I guess is relative to being inside the box. Yeah. So it's the exact same thing when defensive linemen would try to prevent us from sliding off and getting up to the next level. Yeah. Well, it's, it's part of it and you expect it just like they expect us to just hold them to oblivion, you know, until our white we're white knuckled. Do you have a do you have a hard time watching now? Like now that you're an old guy and you you can look at some of the rule changes as an offensive lineman when you watch guys zone block now where they're not allowed to cut on the backside, is it hard? To, do you get frustrated just thinking about how hard that is now for those guys to pull that off? I I, I do and I don't. I mean, it's been interesting the changes as you've probably noticed over the last several years inside the box with respect to holding. You know, they call. They've called holding on the defense more in the last couple of years than I think I saw in the previous 10 years. Yeah. I mean, I, they never would ever call that. And now at least you see, you know, a handful of those calls being made. Which is, it's weird because they moved the umpire to behind the defensive line. So I always felt when we were playing that I had, had it tougher than the, the current guys because the umpire used to be behind the defensive line. And every now and then an umpire would get knocked out because of it. Like I, I personally knocked out an umpire once I turned to, I turned to chase after a quarterback threw the ball. And like, I had been, I think I was actually dropping in coverage. Like I was like five yards behind the line of scrimmage, just in a little zone drop as a nose tackle. And I turned to, to chase, turned to run. And all I saw was a color that wasn't my own Jersey color. And I just shoved him. And I remember to this day, his name was Garth DeFelice really cool name i shoved him and he tripped over somebody else like as i was shoving him so it was almost like the worst version of the old schoolyard prank where you push somebody over somebody and he went down hard face first cold cocked like out cold um and i always (laughs) i felt bad about that because i knew it i mean you know you know when you do something and you're like i was halfway through the shove and i realized like oh crap this is an official not a not a player but i gotta get to the ball and i kept shoving and uh and i looked back and there he was motionless on the turf so so with some percentage of your brain in there you're thinking like i'm also gonna maybe teach him a lesson maybe just, uh, <laughs> like, hey, i'm just gonna kind of let him know maybe he shouldn't be here he could have gotten you know? himself out of the way yeah man well he should have armed himself yeah it's a dangerous job maybe the other time I did anything like that where I felt like, okay, I know what I'm doing, even though like, you know, when you're a kid and, and you're doing something and you're just, you're almost trying to see what happens if you do something bad. Yeah, of course. One, one year we were, we were playing in the preseason. There was a huge point of emphasis on leaving the ball at the, where the play ends. Cause officials were getting sick of chasing, you know, guys would get up and toss the ball or spike it or whatever. So they were getting sick of chasing these balls all over creation. So big point of emphasis was leave the ball exactly where it is. So we were playing the dolphins in the preseason and we had a big stop on third down tackle for a loss in the backfield. And, and Ricky Williams kind of coughed the ball up as he hit his back. So it, it landed right in my hands, like as I was tackling him and I, and I started to get up and I looked around and there was no official to my left or to my right. So I was like, well, and I just dropped it right on Ricky's chest and, and they threw the flag and Ricky got up and, you know, Ricky who stoned all the time and the most pleasant kid in the world, Ricky was furious. Like Ricky was all up in my face, but in my mind, I really did. I, I, I felt like I was doing something that was okay and that I should get away with, even though in my heart, I also knew I was kind of being a prick, you know? So I was, you felt like you fell on the appropriate side of the line. Yeah. Yeah. Like I felt like, Hey, come on by the letter of the law, 
I'm leaving the ball exactly where it was supposed to be. And I said, I can remember. I can remember as Ricky was all in, and I was kind of taken aback that Ricky was coming after me. Because, like, I was like, I don't know, I've never I, seen Ricky Williams yeah, If anything, I've exploited this rule perfectly. Yeah, and no one's appreciating this. And, and that's so Ricky was yelling at me. And I'm kind of, and it's a preseason game, you know? And right. I'm, I'm like, Ricky, 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 no, baby. I was talking you're misreading like, you're, you're misreading girlfriend or something like no ricky baby no i didn't say baby but it was that tone yeah. it was like no yeah, ricky, baby. no ricky yeah. listen to me ricky ricky and they threw the flag and then i i left and then they were on they were in nickel the rest of the drive and i remember gary walker and robert smith weren't too happy about like having to take nine extra snacks <laughs> while i was on the sideline drinking gatorade <laughs> you did this you did this to us uh you and your shenanigans. You're such a problem child. So yeah. the reason I the reason I called you today, Drew, is that I wanted to talk to you about Will Fuller and Bradley Roby, two players mm. for the Texans, who uh, I, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, if you're following this, but they were both suspended for PEDs. And um, Will Fuller first came out and announced it on Instagram. And he said that he'd gotten a supplement from a medical professional that he'd been getting some treatment from and it was tainted or it had something in it that was off label. I know. I think Will Fuller's story was that the doctor thought that it was okay, but it was not like that old, right. that old tell. And then <laughs> Bradley Roby came out defensive back for the Texans, cornerback for the Texans and said that uh, he was getting suspended too. He had a slightly different version of the story. Turns out they were both going to the same quote-unquote medical professional. I, I don't know what kind of guy it was. Um, but my first instinct with any of that stuff is always, I always get defensive of the players themselves because I think, I think these days almost every athlete claims that it was a tainted supplement or that it was a doctor that thought that he could take this fertility drug or something. Right. Um, but I feel like there, I don't know what the percentages would be, but I do feel like a certain amount of time, it is true that the guys are genuinely innocent. And I feel bad for the guys who are genuinely innocent because I feel like most people that cover the sport or pay attention always assume they're always lying. Where, where are you on that? Do you always assume they're lying? I think... <laughs> I think that what's happened, no matter what in the consciousness, I guess it depends on how old the sports fans are at this point. But I remember it was when I was in college when the Balco fiasco was like in full tilt. Yeah. And you had the series of Major League Baseball players in front of Congress just swearing up and down that they would never, ever cheat or besmirch their reputation in that way. Well, it was Rafael like, Palmero with the, it was the finger wag yeah. was the really notable yes. one. And it was that, like was like, that was such a good five lesson. minutes later. Yeah. That, <laughs> it was, like it was a such a good lesson about. for young people to see. Like, man, you would watch Rafael Palmero and think, of course, there's no way in hell. Like, yeah. You learned so much about human nature there. Like just how adamant and convincing somebody can be that it almost feels like there's no possible way they could be lying that hard. Absolutely. Same and same thing with like Lance Armstrong. Yeah. You know, and these like huge name athletes who were just the, the face of, of their sport entirely. So after we've all been conditioned to see that it's, yeah. it's, you can't fight, you know, human nature to just assume that everyone's totally full of it. I think that, you know, to your point, it's, uh, the assumption also, especially with football, I think is that, everyone is on steroids. Mm -hmm. So it's like the expectation is such that, yeah, naturally they're just, they're just finally catching them. They're just right, right. Them. or, or yeah. they just don't care. Right. Like if right. I think a lot of fans just don't care because they assume that a lot of right. guys are on them or that like, Hey, it's such a brutal sport. Why not? Like give them a right. chance to, and I'm always, I've barely even stopped trying to explain it, but I, I think the number of guys that are probably doing something illegal is so small compared to what people think especially like I don't I honestly thinking back on teams I was on in the NFL and I think it's worse I mean I, for one I think it's way worse in high school because very few places you know test the year round randomly for it and kids can get stuff pretty much anywhere they want on the internet um I think it's worse college college it depends I mean it's a lot harder yeah. to get away with but there's there's some ways some guys can um but in the NFL I I always figured on any team I was on, there always seemed like there might be a couple of guys, like two or three, 
that were that maybe did something. It's just the risk didn't reward. You feel, didn't you feel like you kind of knew though? Yeah, I don't, don't know. think so. I always felt like because I always thought about it, and I just never knew what you can actually get like away with. Like I don't know if it, I'd like to think it was morality that prevented me from doing it, but really it was more that like I whatever you can actually get away with didn't seem like it was going to be enough to to make a substantial difference. You know, right? Like yeah, guys, like guys would get caught. Like David Boston got caught, and a lot of the that's what it was, Drew. A lot of the guys that I was like pretty sure probably were, it seemed like they'd get caught eventually. Totally. You know? Um, yeah. You know, there are always rumors about various guys and then they, eventually they get caught. I well, figured- like I remember my, I mean, it was the the handful of guys that, to your point, like David Boston, the ones that it just seemed like, come on, th- this is happening. We all know this is happening. I mean, <laughs> there were a handful of guys that like got drafted and it was just this like open, you know, uh, everyone the open secret everyone knew yeah you know like todd stucy i remember my rookie year you know when you were there in houston too and that was i i want to say he was like in maybe minnesota uh-huh. or maybe it was tampa where he was like into the end of his career but he was an offensive lineman who had like one percent body fat and was like 300 pounds and could like run like a four eight and you're yeah. just thinking yeah. like you're 40 like, what? <laughs> oh, yeah, some of the guys when they would all of a sudden just get shredded when they were 35 totally you know was, and I'm, like there are a handful of guys like that like harrison too i felt like i was just like this is not you know well you and know. that's where i you know what i should say i don't because i knew just i knew so many guys that barely like they couldn't be bothered to take creatine because right. it was just a pain right. in the ass you know what i knew that these guys weren't getting a needle stuck in their ass once or twice a week but i i might have been naive about hgh especially and I think I think it seemed like a lot of guys started potentially getting into HGH for a spell there before they got more advanced with the testing. So maybe I'm naive about that. But I'd always because the same thing when HGH for the longest time, you could get away with it. Everything I'd read about it was that like if you weren't using it in combination with steroids, it didn't seem like it really helped you all that much anyway. So I, I that was another risk reward. I just didn't I didn't see the benefit in it. Yeah, you might get five or ten percent hotter, but I don't think your performance is going to really improve that much. You know, my like crow's feet, like, like your crow's feet are going away. Seth, your jawline looks fantastic. I figured uh, the, G- the GM would say, you know, yeah. Seth, I was uh, I was getting ready to to release you because you're getting old, but I I can't look at this face and think that age has stop. affected you one bit. But I can't stop but feel that you are so virile. <laughs> uh yeah the, i mean the, the i think the the thing that gets lost on the fans beyond the fact that they assume that everyone is is that the freakiest guys most definitely are which my experience was always like the freakiest guys in every team were definitely not oh yeah we're like, we're, like, like we're barely lifting yes <laughs> like, yes 1000 percent. the guys that were the most freak over the top specimens i am certain we're not I mean, it was like yeah. Mario Williams oh. when we were there. Yeah. Oh, guys. yeah. There's no way we're in hell. Not. That's no. a really good point. Like, there's no way in hell Mario Williams was doing anything. No. And no. like, Couldn't and he worked out. But some of, yeah, I don't think people really understand how freakish some of the, like the very like the one percent guys are. And I did, especially. I knew like Tony Brackens, like he's another guy that he didn't have a rocked up physique or anything, but he went yeah. to university of Texas and played in Jacksonville for a long time. Was, was pro bowl a bunch of times. was like freakishly naturally talented and he would lift and stuff, but every now and then he would decide to like actually lift hard for two weeks. And it was like in the course of two weeks, he would all of a sudden look like Lou Ferrigno, you know? Right. And, and there's just no possible way he was on anything. He was just that naturally gifted. Uh, there's another guy, Kyle Brady. I knew tight end. He, oh, yeah. he couldn't lift. Like he had to be very careful. Like he, he was limited in how heavy he could go because he'd get too big and muscle bound. Cause he was like six foot six, two eighty as a tight end, no body fat at all. And he wasn't like extremely muscly or anything. He just would get, but he would get too big if he started lifting, you know, but like right. he could have been an offensive tackle easily. Yeah. I think the tight ends are kind of that, that position group that, that, is the underrated freak group yeah. on the teams like so that was the other things that came up today on our afternoon show on uh on sports radio 610 brandon scott and show hughley were having an, uh, a disagreement over in this texan situation romeo cornell hadn't yet talked to will fuller and bradley roby 
you know, as of this afternoon on Wednesday, or I guess on Wednesday morning. So it had been a day or two since all the information had come out. And, and they were having a disagreement about what Romeo Cornell should say to him. And a whole lot of that's kind of Texan specific because he's an interim coach and everything. So that's not necessarily relevant. It, the thing that it made me think of was there's, there's kind of still, I think, like a don't ask, don't tell policy when it comes to head coaches and steroids. I, and I think like with Romeo Cornell, think about him. He was coaching back before they were even testing in the NFL for steroids. And I think coaches always are a little bit of like, well, I don't know what guys are doing and I don't want to know because maybe they're doing it just to keep up with other guys around the league. Cause I don't, I can't remember a head coach in the NFL in 10 plus years ever telling like the team don't do steroids or we don't want you doing this or anything. It's like, like it, it feels weird to even think about because I never even thought that that would be something a head coach would say. Right. I don't think, yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't remember it even remotely being mentioned, Yeah. let alone, yeah. you know, they would talk about, I mean, especially Kubiak. I remember talking about, you know, going out, drinking, things of that nature. Maybe a couple of times they brought up like, please don't smoke blunts in public and or in the hotel room immediately <laughs> before the game, you know, but it wasn't like, wait, were you there during the KC three? That was no, that was, long oh, was that, um, that was when uh, the three guys, it was, um, that was Sam right Montgomery. Yeah. Uh, the draft picks. Yeah. The three, three young players uh, got caught smoking us a, a cigar type substance in the bathroom the night before the <laughs> Kansas city game. I think that was 2000. Oh. 11 2012 yeah right you're gone yeah but yeah yeah like uh yeah kubiak they'd give you those kinds of stories but never kind of a a don't do Uh peds story which i think is smart because i mean you don't i don't think you really want them policing that part of it you want it to be a third party essentially the nfl man yeah yeah and don't you know because once you get now you're opening them up to which team is more stringent on it which team has a reputation for being looser i just don't think you even want to just keep it completely siloed yeah and it i it had never struck me until brandon texted me and asked me about it because he and show were having this this argument before their show um and and it, it it just struck me as odd that it never even once occurred to me that that's something that a head coach should be doing and right i'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus or anything i don't i don't think any of my college coaches ever did or my and maybe not even my high school coaches but where we were I don't like I don't think anybody was ever on them like in my piddly little league it it might be a generational thing too where it's like to your point you know some like Cornell where he comes from a generation where there were guys like you know like the Pittsburgh Steelers in their heyday too where it was like every single one of those dudes to a T right, was just yeah, juiced yeah. to the gills. Like yeah, their veins yeah. were, they were so vascular. It was like 3d off the screen. Yeah. You know? And the so Mike Webster, where it just looks like a cartoon. Oh character. yeah. It's yeah. just like, uh, yeah. Outrageous. Yeah. It's like, like Lou Ferrigno, like post Hulk situation. And you know, I like my offensive line coach in college played in the NFL for like 13 years. And it was like when it was Gastineau and all those guys, you know, and he just openly would talk about it when he was coaching us in college. Like he would just say flat out, you know, that they were, oh yeah, we would just take turns, go in the locker room after practice. And we would just, you know, shoot each other up. And it was so casual. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, right. Yeah, of course you would. I was talking to an old scout about this guy that had played in the NFL and then, uh, you know, been in the league forever as a scout. And, and he said a lot of these young scouts, he's like, these guys don't get it. Because, you know, this this guy played back when everybody was doing whatever they were doing in the 70s and 80s. <clears throat> and, and he's like, man, I, I've seen some of these guys and I tell guys, I would tell scouts, <clears throat> like, you can't trust this kid. When he gets to the NFL, there's no way he's going to be the same. Like, what are you talking about? Ah, no, he'll be fine. <laughs> and, and, and then lo and behold, because, you know, because he can see it. He's less naive about it. Um, yeah, like every, <laughs> every now and then there'd be like a guy in training camp it was like a rookie free agent and just looked like a bodybuilder and then all of a sudden would mysteriously disappear like two weeks after the first round of drug tests that was well and did you always you, i mean i i felt like it was more so in college where i would see those guys and you just knew you know that the whatever ability they had to even compete was only because of just the they had the girth or the strength yeah. to, to like hold hold the point yeah. But they weren't athletic. They couldn't move. They couldn't do anything else. You know what? Um, I, I told somebody that asked me on Twitter 
that I tell him what my my worst injury was. He asked what my worst injury was, and I kind of thought I'd rather talk about what my dumbest injury ever was. And mm-hmm. the one that came up, the one that first came to mind was in 2005. It was the last game of the season. Uh, I'm sorry, it was 2004. It was the very last game of the season. And the field at NRG Stadium, Reliance Stadium at the time, was it was somehow like, oh, that's right. It was that old pallet system. The turf sucked. Like, yeah. it was really, really all torn up. It was wet. It was like wet and sloppy somehow at an indoor stadium. And I was out on the field in the first couple series, like during warmups and during the first series, I was thinking, man, I got to change my cleats. These are, these are just, they're too, uh, they're, I'm not, I don't have enough grip. I got to put the longer spikes in. So after the first series or so, I go to the sideline and I was all spatted up and everything. And just like out of sheer laziness, I just said, ah, you know, screw it. Let me, let me see. I'm going to go out one more series and see how it feels. So the very next series, I go out in this meaningless last game of the year. I'm a free agent, by the way, after this game, this meaningless game, last game of the year. I get combo blocked by the guard in the center. So I got like 600 pounds coming down on me. I, I turn my hips and my shoulders to, to split the double team. And my rear foot just keeps on sliding. And I ended up doing... And so my foot keeps sliding. So I'm like, oh crap, I got to like, I was about to do a horizontal split. Like I'm, um, I'm like the little karate dude there between the two chairs. Who am I thinking of? Uh, Jerry Maguire. No, 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 no. The French guy, the French oh. guy with the splits and what? Oh, you're too Van Damme. Yeah. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Mm. So it's like, I'm Jean-Claude. So I'm like, all right, I got to flip my hip somehow. So I kind of like twisted back and I ended up doing like a full vertical split with both these guys on top of me. And I just felt. I just uh, poop that pop in my, it felt like in my ass, like I'd gotten Forrest Gumped or something like shot in my ass, but it was it, like, I did a full split and it, it, it like, I kind of went into denial. They came out to get me and they started to have me stand up. I'd forgotten about this part of it until I started telling the story just now. So the trainers came out. I'm like, I think I'm okay. It doesn't really hurt or anything. There, it, it, it was a pop, but I think I'm fine. So they helped me up. I go to walk towards the sideline and like, I, I almost collapsed completely. Like my leg gave out from me. And I remember hearing the crowd gasp. Like they had all just started to clap. Like, cause I was walking off the field. I don't know if they even do that anymore. Do they? Are we that unsportsmanlike that they clap when you come off the field? I, I, I think it still happens. I think okay. you just haven't noticed. I feel like everybody's like, ah, screw this guy. Yeah, we're all we're all dead inside now. It it like, this guy's screwing my fantasy league, even though he's just a <laughs> defensive tackle. Um, right. So right. I and I heard the whole crowd like gasp, and it kind of freaked me out. I was like, did it look that bad? And and it turns out I'd pulled my hamstring off my pelvis, and it. And I feel so stupid about it to this day because like, like aside from the injury itself, like I was a, I was a, I was going to be a free agent that year. I ended up being a free agent. Like I was took, I took visits while I was like barely able to walk, but it was all because I was too lazy to change my shoes up. That's all I had to do was just change my shoes. That's brutal timing. Yeah. What was your dumbest injury? I mean, I've had a handful, you know, when you got hit by a car. I did get hit by a car. That's post football though, so I don't know oh. if that counts. If we're going, if we're going all open to all injuries, that's a long list. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the football one. I mean, I de- I ruptured my my pec, tore it off the bone at the combine. Oh, oh, at the like doing a bench press. Doing the bench test. Oh, what what rep you were you on? Four. Did they, they didn't give you four as your number, did they? They 100% did. So I had that. So it went down. <laughs> oh, those dirty. Are you serious? Oh, and I had the, the guy who was standing over me That's too. So you probably know who it is. He, he, he had built up this, like a bit of a reputation. He was all over, you know, like the NFL network. Yeah. Was, no, he was, uh, he was different than I think when either, because they started, they got, as it became more of a TV event, they got less and less strict with the form. They almost just wanted yes. a big number. And that guy yeah. was all like, it would, wouldn't, no, that guy. Yeah, that guy would like almost damn make out with you beforehand, right? And he like was, yeah, he was like a psycho. Up. He was a real psycho. And, yeah. you know, and I had tweaked it, you know, like a couple of weeks before. And, you know, probably like you, I mean, I went in like, I had a shot at, you know, getting mid 30s. Yeah. Like maybe lot. more, you know, and I was, I mean, I was pretty strong at the time. And it was kind of one of these deals where, you know, you have everybody that you're training with, like, look, I mean, if you run well, yeah. you have some numbers, I mean, you're going to be like, a, you know, you're going to be like the third overall pick. 
And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, sure. Yeah, let me do this. So, you know, I got in there and I'm like feeling pretty good, warmed up and got under it. And, and, the, and the adrenaline's going. So any concern about injuring yourself is just completely out the window. Right. And I had ran pretty well. I had, you know, done the rest of the stuff and, and performed pretty, pretty well. So, yeah, I got started and I'm just like throwing it up and I'm thinking like, man, I'm really feeling myself. I'm going to do maybe a hundred of this. <laughs> and I got to like the fourth one and I, it, it was, it wasn't one of those, like, I think it's cramped. It was like, I felt it just fly off the bone. like oh, in a hurry. Oh, yeah. you know? And I was like, Oh, and it, and I couldn't even, I mean, I couldn't even budget an inch off my chest. And I remember oh. the guy, I stopped immediately. And I, I, I think everyone in here is watching me. Just act like you tweaked it. Just yeah. act like you tweaked it, and you still got a chance to pretend like you're fine and you yeah. come back. And the guy's looking at me, and he just goes, "Is that it? Is that it?" What a dick! And I was like, "You are you, you." Oh, oh boy! What a dick! Are you kidding? Yeah, me? he was. All right, now he I'm gonna have to, now have to remember his name and uh and, and call him a dick yeah so you, I, think he was with the, I think it was with the browns it was like a, one of the browns, a long time browns trying to yeah, yeah that guy was way over the top it was uh he was yeah. trying to make it all about himself it's just the bench yeah, press exactly. it's like the dumbest yeah. event we do here at the combine so then you yes. couldn't you couldn't run or anything right no i ended up doing the whole rest of the testing and i still got i still i was like in the top 10 i think and most most of the things even with like a just a blown out pack so i was i, I ended up being weirdly satisfied with it yeah you know and i did okay at the pro day but um yeah i had to come back and do the physicals and half the teams immediately were like yeah no you you have a ruptured back yeah especially i I feel like they've gotten cooler about that stuff now but right it was that was still back when it would have been like a a deal killer um let's see i'm gonna answer some of these questions i i I told people i'd answer the questions so now i have to answer the questions let's see oh (laughs) uh oh 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 the shadiest medical professional you've ever gone to the for me i'm glad you brought up belco earlier because the bay area laboratory (laughs) cooperative uh, run by victor conti who was the guy that worked with a bunch of football players baseball players barry bonds all these different guys he had a couple of undetectable substances the clear and the cream i and i've told this story before I guess I've never quite told it in this detail. I actually paid Belco money in 1999 or 2000 or so because I had a friend who was a bodybuilder who knew somebody at Belco or something who said, hey, Seth, these guys do great work with, you know, optimizing your diet and everything. And I'm like, all right, well, that's that's cool. So I'll, I'll give it a shot. And the first thing they tell you is, hey, we want to do a 24-hour year analysis and figure out you know where your imbalances are and everything so they're like hey listen, so don't take any multivitamins or any supplements for two weeks beforehand right. so i didn't do any multivitamins or supplements for two weeks beforehand and then I, I i collect my urine for 24 hours in this huge bladder and send it off and it was some some ridiculous price it was like it was several hundred dollars you know right. i'm almost embarrassed to say what i think it was but i think it was like 900 dollars <clears throat> or something because because uh, drew this is super super scientific stuff here and yeah, yeah. yeah i get the report back and of course the report says well the study shows that you need vitamins and supplements and i'm like yeah you sons right. of bitches i could have been <laughs> how about you let me take the test while i'm taking my like cheap over-the-counter stuff because right. the program they're suggesting is hey we're going to customize this vitamin for you and yeah. all these supplements and then we're going to charge you like three thousand dollars a month to do it and i thought i thought to myself this is this is cockamamie this is a bunch of this is bs so i just said ah screw it i'm not doing it and (laughs) and then i kind of forgot about belco for like two years and then all of a sudden out of nowhere all this stuff starts happening and i kind of like in my mind i was like gosh yeah i remember them all right i guess i better i like i might somebody might call and ask me questions or something because i'm guessing i'm in a database somewhere you know and i don't know how yeah. i don't know how meticulous the records are because maybe they're if they're not meticulous then my name will just be in there and they're going to want to talk to me so i'll right. like get my story ready and everything um but apparently this uh, they were they were meticulous enough but so these two years later 
this uh, this bodybuilder bro that had first suggested that I go work with Balco calls me up and he's like, hey, Seth, man, I don't know. Uh, listen, I'm kind of freaked out. Uh, I got these guys from Belco calling me and they're basically saying that they're going to get our names out of here, but it's going to cost like $100,000 to do it. And I'm like, dude, dude, for one, like I didn't say it out loud, like, I don't believe that anybody's calling you. Like, I think you're calling me because uh, like, and I just uh, like, that's what's going through my brain. But in my mind, I'm like, no, I, well, I told him, I told wow. him this part. I said, listen, man, I didn't do a single damn thing with them other than give them some urine. So good luck with yourself and whatever you did, but I'm freaking cool as hell. Like, I don't have to worry about this. And he like, his name never came up because he's like, he had no reason to, yeah. he was just, a, he was a bodybuilder. He didn't need to hide it from anybody. You know, it wasn't right. like he was competing naturally or anything. Right. So he was just like, so he's trying to, I think this guy was trying to squeeze me for like a hundred grand for having done nothing at all. I, I so that was my experience with Belco. Like luckily my stinginess and general distrust of, of quacks, like kept me from ever getting involved. Cause I do. Well, wonder, and friends. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. And, and your distrust of friends. Yeah, yeah. And people, people <laughs> that you know. He was yeah. an acquaintance. He wasn't a friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. So oh, he was uh, outside the circle. Because he always like got, I had talked to this guy. I had I had talked to him about like, hey, you know, he, you know, he's all dialed in with his diet and everything. And he told me, like, hey, Seth, we can really tweak some things and I'll work with you. And I think he had this fantasy that he was gonna be, you know, like my my nutrition yeah, guru or something. Right. And it was like I after after that Belco fiasco and just another couple of things. I'm talking about like the two years prior fiasco right. when I just realized that I'm no, I'm not going to pay money for that. And some of the other stuff he was telling me, I was like, I could, I could read this in muscle and fitness, man. I don't, I don't need this. So I just, luckily I stepped away from him. But if I had gone through with Belco, I don't know. I would have, who knows? I don't know what they told those guys. Did they tell them they were taking steroids or did they just say like, Hey, we got this awesome right. new supplement. And maybe I would have been, I don't know, maybe I would have been one of the Belco athletes. I mean, my impression is that there had to have been a handful of guys, at least, that just assumed that it was just another supplement. It was just more scientifically at the forefront of whatever sports science was. And that, you know, they probably didn't really consider it to be anything overly right, you know, right. nefarious or banned. But there were always like a handful of guys that were pretty sharp and knew what they were doing. You know, they, well, especially like if you're, but... if you're a baseball player and you're seeing what the <laughs> other guys that are doing steroids are doing and swelling up and everything, and like all of a sudden you start swelling up. Yeah, exactly. But, like, but if somebody wow, I just I saw Mark McGuire in the parking lot and he was moving cars with his forearms. <laughs> I, I don't know how he did that. He's 50. Yeah. But if they tell you though, if a medical professional tells you, hey, it's actually not illegal yet, you know, right. you know, this right. is all you're doing is pushing the envelope. Like it can be pretty convincing. Yeah. That's why that's when guys started doing Andro before it was a lot of guys were doing Andro like back with Mark McGuire and everything when he started doing yep. it because like I knew football players who did Andro Same. genuinely yeah. not understanding that like no this will get you popped for steroids it's just a precursor like this is illegal too so right. so and then when you have a doctor telling you I don't know I could have seen myself at that point getting duped in if they hadn't tried me with a stupid you know like honestly if they'd been really upfront with it and probably not tried to rope me in with a stupid vitamin story I I might have I don't know I might have done it who knows yeah I would yeah. have been uh, my name would have been shamed uh in front of my family and my friends and yet I would have been a defensive player of the year yeah, you, you could have been part of that uh, multi-level marketing Belco or, empire. Yeah, or, or at least kind of better. Uh, let's see. Most in, <laughs> most intimidating offensive lineman you ever faced. That's from William Markham. He says probably not the right adjective. Now, I'm old enough now that I can I can say, okay, intimidating, it works for a few guys. Like, it's not – I don't think there are many guys I was ever, like, intimidated by. But there was um, – Larry Allen, partly because he just came advertised so well – there was, uh, I can remember going against Larry Allen my rookie year and being like, oh boy, <laughs> this is going to be a, this is going to be a, this is going to be interesting. And I actually, I came in like I was a rookie and luckily I came in like in the fourth quarter. And I want to say the Cowboys kind of had the game in hand. And I thought, I didn't get like full go Larry Allen. I didn't get 100% Larry Allen. So I actually had some good snaps versus him. So I kind of right. like, that was a good confidence booster. <clears throat> and then I remember the next time I faced Larry Allen, he was playing, he was actually playing left tackle at the time. And I was playing 
inside, but I had to come outside like as a loop container. And you, Drew, you know what that's like for a defensive lineman. You have to like, <laughs> you start off over the guard, you're going to loop contain around yes. the offensive tackle, like with no yeah. power leverage whatsoever, yeah. just to, just in case the quarterback gets flushed that way. The brilliance game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, it's like that you're a sacrificial lamb. You're just trying to get out there, yeah. right? You're not, you're not going to get, unless the quarterback gets flushed, you're not going to make a play on it. And, and I were just get, I came looping around Larry Allen and he caught me just right. Like, and I felt as helpless as I've ever felt in my adult life. Like I just went flying and it felt like I was doing like the swimming in slow motion, like in midair towards the Cowboys <laughs> sideline and everything slowed down. And I could like look and see all the Cowboys players laughing at me as I was getting launched towards them. And, uh, that was like, that was the most helpless I ever felt on a football field. And it was because of Larry Allen. What was funny about him too, is that he was people I think maybe don't realize like he wasn't a really tall guy at no. all. I mean, no. he was like, I think he was, I met, I met him once or twice and he, I want to say he's like shorter than I am. Like he's yeah. not a tall guy, but he had really long arms. And he was really thick, like just And solid. he was really heavy and yeah. he was so strong. I yeah. mean, his punch was unreal. Yeah. Was, Leon, uh, Leon Searcy. He was before your time, but he was a right tackle. You remember him? He had a um, he had a boxing background, and like so, his punch his punch was vicious. He'd catch guys with that left hand, that left inside hand, and just that would like kind of that would it was like getting the heart shockers, like you. <laughs> and that was hum- yeah. that was humiliating too. I never played against Leon Cersei, but I practiced against him because he was with the Jaguars, mm-hmm. and like. Between him and Baselli, whenever I'd go against tackles, like you'd feel like a little boy sometimes because they were just so good. They would just stun you, and you'd be dead in the tr- your tracks. And like Baselli, especially, his arms were so long that he would just he'd hold you out, and there's nothing you could do with it. Like like a little kid, like flailing his arms as his brother holds you away, holds him away, like with his hand on his forehead. That's right. what I felt like with Baselli. Cersei just had. Uh, if anybody's looking for a book, Cersei's got a. I should have Cersei on the podcast soon because he has a book out right now about like, I think it's about kind of the hard times he had when he was done playing because Cersei was, so anybody look up his book on Amazon. I've heard, I've heard good things about it. Last question. This is from fan. I know used to be Stroh's fan. I know, but I think he got suspended from Twitter for something, Um, (laughs) but he's Czechoslovakian american czech american uh so he's so he's very protective of the kolache in the and uh very offended by the bastardization of the kolache because drew i don't know if you know this or not uh so so fan i know asks do they have kolaches in upstate new york that's where i'm from um the kolache in its czech form like in its pure form is a sweet filling surrounded by bread you know sweet bread so it's like a little, a nice little circle of, of fruit or something surrounded by bread, where now like a lot of these kolache places will also have pigs in a blanket that they call kolaches, but that's actually, I think some other Czechoslovakian name. So it's a lot like, of Polish, right? It's like- Yeah, so like a lot of Czech people get genuinely offended when all these non-kolaches are called kolaches. But to answer wow. the question, no, I had zero clue what a kolache was until the expansion draft in 2002 like i came in oh my gosh i was sitting we're sitting there waiting like before this press event the day before the expansion draft and somebody asked me if i wanted a kolache it was kevin cooper kevin cooper who was the assistant pr guy and he asked me if i wanted a kolache and i was like i i I don't know what is a kolache and they looked at me like oh you don't know what a kolache is you rube i'm like i don't i have zero clue what a kolache is so i i i I ate a kolache which i've now learned is not genuinely a kolache because i was uh i tend to have an affinity for the the pig in a blanket variety um and like i fell in love it was uh, it was love at first sight that was like my introduction to the city of houston was the kolache which for anybody listening to this who doesn't live in in i guess mostly texas or czechoslovakia like nobody knows what a kolache is no no no, they don't. i didn't know either when i got to you're talking about kolache factory are you not well Kal- yeah yeah kolache factory like, that's like where i felt like they were everywhere was yeah. and i never I, same thing when i got to houston and i think we would have them you know like sometimes they would bring them when we would have like like uh away games yeah they would like bring them in. it was usually like steve mckinney would bring like 400 for nine people <laughs> yeah. and you know and I just remember thinking like, 
these are nowhere else, and I don't know why. They're not in California. They, they weren't anywhere when no, I traveled like I for thought, like college games. Yeah, I always like, thought they're not like in North Carolina. should open one somewhere, anywhere, because there's, yeah. they're almost like the perfect unhealthy food. Like either in their pure form, which is more like a dessert or like a breakfast dessert, or in their bastardized form, which is a, a hot dog or sausage and cheese. Egg sausage yeah. and cheese, jalapenos, surrounded by this bread that's not like a sweet, sweet bread. It's just more like a delicious bread. Um, and there, yeah, Drew, I don't know. It's kind of, it's not just Kalachi Factory. There's like more little boutique shops now too that have popped up, like more specialty type shops. And I, it feels like there's more independent Kalachi shops now than there right. used to be. But yeah, they're um, they're huge in Texas, and I don't know why they haven't caught on elsewhere. But this also, is the genesis I don't, don't want to be the guy that tries to bring the kolache to a place. Uh, well, I, it seems like this is the spinoff for our kolache podcast. Is this not kolache cast? Is are kolache. we not doing that? <laughs> are we not doing that? Seems like. <laughs> well, isn't I don't know. Like, is Texas? I guess Texas must must have been a real hot spot for Czechoslovakian immigrants. But it seems like I I've known Czech immigrants in a lot of other places and never seen right. a kolache before. And they don't really have them in Chicago either. And I would think that like, there's a population there, you know, yeah. it's like, I don't really, yeah. I don't know what that's all about, but um, we'll get so, to the bottom of it. So the, uh, no, yeah. You know what? Yeah. Maybe we'll do that. We could spend five minutes on Kalachis next. Like do a little Wikipedia on Kalachis. <laughs> I genuinely don't want to, I genuinely, I, I decided as yesterday as I was kind of coming out of my anesthetic funk it, which was weird, Drew. For like a week, I feel like I was just kind of almost like hovering along through space and time. And I was completing all my daily tasks and chores well enough, but I felt just kind of detached from everything. Um, but as I was as I was texting you last night, because we were supposed to podcast at like 7 p.m., I, I just thought to myself, all right, I got to... I gotta just, I just gotta have fun on this podcast and just have a chat with Drew instead of trying to prepare for it like I'm doing my normal radio show or something. So, uh, so that's what we'll do. We'll talk about kolaches and uh, <laughs> it's something I know. Yeah, yeah, I'm also I'm interviewing um, I'm interviewing an author on Thursday of this week uh, from a book that I've read called Spark. It's all about exercise and basically. Oh yeah, I just started that. Oh, that's right. I told you to, I told you yeah. to, uh, to, to do it. Um, it's, uh, it's called spark the revolutionary new science of exercise in the brain by John Rady, who is a Harvard professor. I think he might be retired now, but he's a Harvard professor, uh, who wrote this book and it's, it's been kind of transformative for me because it's very much all about what exercise does for your brain, for your emotional well-being, how it just floods your brain with all these different neurotransmitters. It makes you more sensitive and uh, to, to dopamine, like all this stuff. And because of that, like this is the most consistent I've ever been with exercise between this book and then this other book, Atomic Habits that I read. Like when I exercise every day now, I don't think about the long-term benefits at all. I think very much about the short-term benefits of, oh, I'm going to feel better. It's going to help me think more clearly. I'm going to be more creative because of it. It's going to just help everything function better. And like, so now, now I can't not exercise. It's really, it's really cool. So I'm going to chat with uh, John Rady tomorrow and, um, and try not to sound like a buffoon in front of this. That's great. Professor. Thanks for, uh, yeah. Comparing me to a Harvard professor who has transformed your life. That's it. Yeah. It's pretty much you atomic habits. and <laughs> John Rady have transformed <laughs> right. my life. And also yeah. some religious text or whatever. There, I don't know, whatever the best-selling religious text is right now. Yeah, of the moment. Yeah. yeah. All right, buddy. Thanks, man. I'll um I'll send you a kolache out there in, in Charlotte. Where are you? Yeah, what, what little suburb of Charlotte are you staying in? Are you in Charlotte proper? Yeah, I'm in. I'm in Charlotte proper. I'm in. Uh, technically, it's called Noda. Is like the. Wait, wait, the, wait. The okay. N O D A. Yeah, N O D A. So yeah. is it North Down? What is it? See, that's, I was, it sounds like it would be like North downtown something, right? Yeah, like, well, like Denver has Lodo, which is lower right. downtown, right? <laughs> Houston has yeah. Edo, which is east downtown. Yeah, it's it's Noda, so it's North Davidson, which is like the, I would compare it to like a, um, like a Wicker Park in Chicago, or maybe like a uh, sort of a rainy street kind of gentrified hipster. yeah. I don't yeah. think you get it. You don't get the four-letter acronym unless you're the trendy new spot in town. Oh, I mean, yeah. That's all, no, that's all sure. been like a relatively new thing, like where some developer decides like, hey, what this place needs is an acronym. Yeah. And then we're good. So, yeah. 
Yeah, it's and it's good for me because I like to overspend on lattes and like hit on <laughs> women that are way too young for me. So <laughs> you're turning into that guy. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's you know, my identity. There are, uh, but there, I don't know. That's where Edo in Houston. Actually, I'm trying to think of like that whole area. Yeah, like down near Minute Maid and everything. That's technically Edo. There, I, I've met a lot of people down there who are retired and just love it because like they can walk oh, everywhere. It's yeah. like, everything's very right. walkable. And now with Uber, I mean, I met a lot of people who have retired and moved from the suburbs into the city now. Um, yeah. and I think Uber is a big part of it. And then just like more, more walkable neighborhoods and, and they just, they're living the life. Like it's, it's not bad. Don't be afraid to grow old in that neighborhood, Drew. Thanks Seth. Yeah. Appreciate that. You can come live with us if you want. We're taking, okay. I've decided I'm going to take in, um, cause I've, I've known too many guys now that like all of a sudden when they get into their forties, feel pressure to get married cause they're starting to feel alone and all of their friends are married and everything. Yeah. I, you're decided, totally not describing every day of my life. For the well, last year. Yeah. Yeah. No, but this is the problem <laughs> though. I think what those, I think what some guys like that need, like you, I was trying not yeah. to, and I was trying Thanks, to talk man. about you. Like yeah. someone did <laughs> pick up a hobby. I think you need like an orphanage for middle-aged men to where they can feel camaraderie, almost like a, like a firehouse, uh, you know, feel to it and everything. Huh. But, you know, so where like families can take these guys in, but they don't feel like necessarily rushed to find companionship or anything because they have more of a family atmosphere and feel. And you can, you know, do odd jobs around the house to earn your keep. Was it, I mean, you're describing a sitcom premise, but also is this, this is less depressing that you're describing? <laughs> This feels worse. Okay. No. What no, you're no, saying, no. don't think of what you're saying a, doesn't doesn't. You're not talking to me off the ledge. You're like jump, man. Just jump. Drew, don't don't think of yourself as a charity no. case. Yeah, exactly. As a, as a yeah. charity showcase. Yeah. Look, you keep Drew. You keep telling yourself a loser, and what I'm saying is, you are a loser. <laughs> but you gotta, but you just gotta be comfortable with it. But you, you gotta just gotta just, own it. Gotta, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, man. Right. I look forward to talking to you next week, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to stew on that for the next six days. All right. Thanks, man. Bye. Be well. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 